welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome adventurers to a side quest episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name's Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And how are things, King Scott? I know this is mid-October-ish when this is recording, but you're uh, right in the thick of the Renaissance Festival. Still going. Oh, my, yes. We're just getting ready to finish up there, and then I'm going out to another Renaissance Festival out in the middle of the state, so it's still renaissancing time yet. Other Renaissance Fest? I did not know that this was a thing. Oh, my, yes. There are Renaissance Festivals all over, but uh, the one I'm going out to in Lancaster, it's probably one of the larger ones in the country. And one of my friends is getting married there, and she wanted me to officiate the wedding for her. Do you get to be the king out there, too? Oh, no. No, no. I don't. We're in different areas there. So I'm King Henry at ours. Theirs has Queen Elizabeth. So it would be kind of weird for (laughs) her father to be there at the same time as she is. So, yeah, it gets kind of weird. So what role do you play when you go to the Lancaster one? Uh, I'm thinking one of the ones I loved playing in the past was a character called Nelson Blatherskite. And Blatherskite is a person who pretends that they know everything about everything. So I just go out there and I'm an egotistical know-it-all. And it's so much fun to play that. Well, speaking of fun, we had the chance to meet up with James Faulkner and Paul Allen to play their upcoming Kickstarter game, Senjutsu Battle for Japan. And this was a fun one, wasn't it? Yes, it was. We had a great time playing it. I loved it. One of the best quotes that came out of the whole playthrough was one of them saying that it's like chess, but sexy. (laughs) yes it's a it's a tactically rich game and it's definitely sexier wait a minute chess has minis kind of well it all depends i mean you can go from the very basics to my god some of these ones they have now is like every single marvel character that's ever been they have in a chess set now well we're getting ahead of ourselves i think before we start talking about the game and our thoughts about it there's only one way to do it level up style I think it's time for an 8-bit breakdown. So, before we get to the breakdown, Patrick, why don't you give us the walkthrough? My pleasure. Designed by Paul Allen and James Faulkner, published by Stonesword Games and live on Kickstarter on October 19th, Senjutsu Battle for Japan is a game in which 1-4 players take on the role of dueling samurai. To start the game, each player takes their reference card and places their samurai miniature onto the hex board. We should note that the samurai has a triangle on the base to represent its facing, basically the direction that you're looking. Each player may choose a pre-constructed 40-card deck for their samurai, or players can build their own 40-card action deck. There are some restrictions when building your own. You are allowed three copies of any bronze card, two of any silver, and only one of each gold card that you opt to put in your deck. This action deck is where the bulk of your gameplay is going to come from. At the start of play, each player will draw a 5-card opening hand. Once your deck is ready and your miniature is placed, the last thing you need to do is place a marker on your kami tree. 
This is simply a small diagram with three positions that your samurai might be in, as well as a gateway that the marker starts in. The three branches on this kame tree, aggressive, defensive, or meditative, don't really do much on their own, but rather, cards may have additional benefits depending on your position. The round structure of Senjutsu is quite simple, really. Each player draws a card and plays one card face down. Next, the cards are revealed and their actions are carried out. And then lastly, each player discards down to their maximum hand size. So what do these cards do? First and foremost, they determine the order in which everyone's going to act is determined by the initiative order number on the card. Next, the abilities on the card are carried out. This ranges from simple movement and rotating your character's facing, to attacking, blocking, or altering your position on the kami tree. Combat cards, be the card attacking or defending, will show a range of hexes in relation to your miniature that they affect, so a jab with a dagger might hit only the hex immediately in front of your samurai. If an attack is not blocked, then the defending samurai takes a wound card, and once a player's taken five wounds, they're eliminated. In a two-player game, the game is over. In multiplayer, play continues until there's just one samurai remaining. Now there is a bit more to Senjutsu than I went over in this walkthrough, such as knockbacks, bleeding wounds, and more, but I hope this gives you a solid impression of what to expect when Senjutsu shows up at your door and makes its way onto your table. Does this game have the lightning reflexes and swift agility to withstand the barrage of the 8-bit breakdown? Let's find out as Level Up takes on Senjutsu Battle for Japan. The centuries-old authority of the Ashikaga Shogunate has collapsed, casting feudal Japan into a period of brutal civil war. Later referred to as the Sengoku Jidai, clan has turned upon clan as daimyos. Local liege lords struggle to accumulate power and prestige. Each player controls a samurai, a skilled warrior pledged to the service of a daimyo and their clan. Their duty is to defeat any enemy that threatens their lord's ambitions and to take their head for his pleasure. Blood will be spilt and great warriors will fall in this battle for Japan. And he, that was kind of fun. This was a great game to try out. I had seen something about a Kickstarter of this game coming out and it just kind of looked at it and like, eh. But having a chance to try it, it's like, wow, there's a lot in this game that's really awesome. Well, let's do it 8-bit style, starting with bit number one, the art and the components. I really like them. There are minis in the game. The minis are gorgeous. But Absolutely. it's not one that's overwhelming with all these miniatures and everything else. You have a few miniatures to choose from. Each one of them is completely different, very, very striking poses. It really adds to the game. The board is very simple, very easy to move around. You can Basic see what you're doing. Board. Yes. The cards are very unique. They're almost look hand-drawn. It really adds to the character of the whole game. You know, there's not a whole lot of art on them. They have that little, like, start of a mural on the right. And mm -hmm. they even pointed out you can put two cards together and you can see it, like, continues the mural. I, I know. thought that was really cool. A graphic design, though, I think was on point. Yes. It, it Like you said, with the making of the mural, that's something that they didn't have to do. But it adds that special little touch to this game to really make it 
stand out and give it its own flavor. Now, I will say, having played on TTS, Scott, that's going to limit our ability to speak to things as we go through the walkthrough. Like, you know, the miniatures, they look fantastic. And I've seen them on the Kickstarter page. I got to actually play around with them on Tabletop Simulator. But mm-hmm. that's all images and, and graphic representations of the miniatures. We don't know yet. You know, I haven't held one in my hand. So keep that in mind. Moving forward, Adventures, you know, we we played this on TTS. So some of our, our input is going to be based in in that playthrough. And yes. we played this one time. We got a chance to yes. give it one walkthrough. So this is very much a first impression 8-bit breakdown. We have not mastered the game. We uh, we promptly <laughs> lost, actually. We did a, a two-on-two, each of us controlling one character. So it was you and me taking on Paul and James, and they didn't let us win. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's they, designed. They got to learn a thing or two. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's talk theme and immersion. Scott, we were saying as we were playing this game that you can kind of visualize the dance as the two minis are tactically mm-hmm. moving and rotating and trading blows and blocking blows. I like that the cards specifically do something that's relevant to the theme. Like the quick dagger shot has you stabbing straight forward and causing yes. a bleeding wound, whereas a full blade swing is going to cause that wound uh, to hit you know a, a handful of hexes that are near you, which... By the way, I have a feeling that's going to make multiplayer much more combolicious. Oh, most definitely. One of the things I loved about it, facing really is important in this game. It's not yes. like you're in a spot, you can hit everything around you. No, very similar. I know during our playthrough, we were talking about it. Battletech came up and we were talking about that with the hexes. Mm-hmm. In Battletech, it's very important. You have to take those extra movements to turn around to face your opponent, to get the shot in. Yeah. So this one here, it's not one where you're next to somebody, so no matter where you're at, you can hit them. You need to make sure you are in position. You Based have to on the cards that you have in your hand, too. One exactly. might hit straight in front of you. One might hit straight in front and to the right. So you have to work tactically with your hand. And the blocking cards, a lot of the blocking cards, it's not like, well, I'm blocking from every hex around me. No, it's blocking from straight ahead or right. the three hexes in front of your character. That, I, you know what? We had a little bit of that whenever we played GKR. You're the mini sky. I don't play a whole lot of these tactical games. I actually really enjoyed that. It really makes it interesting, uh, takes it up a level from just your typical tactical uh, skirmish type of game. So you really need to make sure that you are in position to make the most prominent hit against your opponent. Well, you said it takes it up a notch. Let's take that to bit number three, the complexity. What do you think? Like we said, it's chess, but sexy. (laughs) This is like chess, where it's very simple. You move around, you move your character around, you spin around. But what happens is whenever you throw in that other person's mind, that's where the complexity comes. Because you have no idea exactly what they're going to do, how it's going to work out. You can't look at the board and see, I need to get from point A to point B. That's how I'm going to get there. No, it's all relative to your opponent. Exactly. You're going to go from point A to point B, but then there's going to be an A1 and an A2 and an A till whatever, because there's so many little things that happen that your opponent throws at you that you need to figure, are you going to play a proactive game or are you going to play a reactive game? So it's very, very important to go in with the idea of how you want to play the game before you start. 
Do you find this symbols intuitive? I think so. I it took a little time to get into the idea of like, okay, I need to do this, this, this. The little card that gives you like the player's aid that helps a lot there. Once mm-hmm. you get that down, yes, it does come very become very intuitive. Well, Senjutsu also adds one more element of complexity in that there is a deck construction concept here. You have a 40-card deck that has some limitations. So at the start of the game, you're actually going to build the deck that you're working from. And those limitations are that like bronze cards, think of those as like comments. You can have up to three copies of any given bronze card, two of any silver card, and one of any given gold card. So I think in order to build a solid deck, you're first going to have to understand the game. You're going to have to have that one game where it's like, okay, I'm just playing so that I understand what I'm doing. Next time we play, I'll worry about building my deck. And you know what? I I think they plan on having a starter deck list, uh, something of that nature, so that you can just right out of the box, here's your starter deck list, rock and roll. And all the cards that you could want, this isn't something where like you can buy packs to add to it. No, all the cards that you can choose from are right there in the box. And there's enough that, you know, if I take the the dagger, the stab straight forward, three copies of it, well, you can as well. There's, there are enough for, for the players to have them. Let's move on to the rule book. <laughs> Our rule book was the designers. Uh, I don't know about you, Scott. I peeked at it a little bit, and you know, it's the same quality graphic design found in the gameplay is in the rule book as well. I think sometimes we have a worry with Kickstarter because even great games have bad rule books, and yes. some good games are nearly unplayable because of their literary instruction. <laughs> <laughs> we see that a bit with Kickstarter. But I don't think that that's the case for Sinjutsu. Having looked through their rule book, you know, everything just flows beautifully with exactly what they taught us. What we were more concerned with was the learning curve because we had to figure this one out. You have to play a game to get used to it. Get your, your hands dirty. Figure out how all the pieces work. Get the idea of everything. You're going to lose. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to mm-hmm. lose. But in losing... Just like in life, whenever you lose, that's your chance to find out what works and what doesn't and gives you more enjoyment when you play that next game. You do need to understand how you're moving along that cami tree and what space on it you need to be for your next turn. I don't know if you felt this, but to me, this was very much a next turn kind of game. Whatever you're doing now has to impact the following turn. So if I'm going to do something that's going to move me into an aggressive position on that cami tree then I better make sure that I'm setting myself myself up for next turn utilizing that. Or if I see my opponent moving into that position, then, okay, I need to know that next turn they're going to have a big whack coming because they're in they're an aggressive position. So maybe it's it would behoove me to get out of the way, get out of dodge, or, or throw up a block of some sort and hope that it gets in the way of their swing because they set up for it last turn. It feels like a game where you're constantly playing for the next turn. Once again, it's a dance. So it is a very operatic type of game. Do you think that the average player is going to have a pretty full understanding of how to play the game after one play? I think they should. The player aid, things like that, those really help me to enjoy the game even more as we progressed in our game. And yet... I think getting good at this game is going to take a lot of plays. Oh, 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 gosh, most definitely. I don't think it's going to be one that's going to be a tedious trial of trying to get through it. You can change your deck up. You can change what warrior you're going to use. But then again, that leads us into our next bit. So let's talk replayability and variability. We've got four different characters in this base box and a decent selection of cards to build your 40-card deck with. 
And of course, like Magic the Gathering or chess, your opponent. That's all there is to it. And yet I could mm-hmm. see playing this weekly for a long time. This is the kind of game that I would like to have a couple of copies or have a buddy that has a copy too so that we can get like a tournament going. Free for all. Round robin. Five players. Uh, six players. Let's let's do a round robin tournament and see who, you know, who can win the battle for Japan. Uh, it's that kind Kombat. of game. <laughs> yeah, I think the game is remarkably replayable. The variability is going to come in how you build your deck. Uh, it's obviously going to come in with, with where your opponent's moving and how they're playing. But the replayability, we have games that are replayable because of the number of variables in them. And then we have games that don't have many variables at all. A game like chess, where it's a static setup. Nothing changes. The variable's just your opponent. This feels like that type of game with a few more variables. I might take a different character this time. I might put in a couple of different gold cards than I did last time. I'm going to try and you know use this at the opportune time and smash the guy for, for two hits in one. It only takes five for the win, so maybe that I'm going to build my strategy around, a, you know, dink and dunk them and then use this gold card to finish them off. And the next game, I might do something entirely different. I'm going to keep coming back to it. You can replay this in so many different ways where maybe you're going to set up in your mind that I'm going to play it where I'm just going to nickel and dime them down and kill them with a bunch of small little, what is it? Death by a million paper cuts or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas the next game I'm going to play where I'm only going to play with like so many mighty blows that are just going to hit them hard, hit them hard, hit them hard. You might want to do a little mixture, mixture of both. You have so many different things that you can add into this game to make it fun. Your enjoyment is based on what you're going to put into it. Now, before we go too wild, I do want more cards. I think at some point I'm going to have those cards memorized. I'm going to be mm-hmm. playing a statistics game of narrowing down what my opponent will likely have in their hand, what they're likely going to be playing. That's fine. And that can give you some extra deep play, but it can also run stale. And that's why a game like a, like a CCG has expansions. And I know that I'm going to play Senjutsu enough to warrant, if they get an expansion, I'm going to be needing it. Because I will have seen those cards, you know, after five, six, seven plays, 17 plays, I'm going to be ready for some new cards, you know, mix things up a little bit. The base box, uh, it's not super limited. Uh, it's not its not overly restricting as far as the selection that it gives you with the cards. But the gamer in me, I'm like, no, give me more. I want some more. I want some more options because after game six, I will have seen it all. Give me a, give me a surprise. Give me a, a few other things that I can combo with when I'm building my deck. As is, it's very much a, a, a base set so to speak. It's a base set of cards to work with when you're constructing. This game is the solar system, but you know there's more past that last planet. So this gives you that nice base to play with, but you know there can be more out there, but oh. you're just we just got to wait for it. Well, let's move on to bit number seven and let's talk. Why am I sounding so happy to move on to bit number seven and talk downsides? <laughs> <laughs> it's like in Men in Tights when he's like, I have some terrible news. He's like, well, maybe deliver it to me in a funny way so it doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> like I said, there is a potential to just know everything in the box. I, I think that's probably a fair statement. Games like Twilight Struggle are going to significantly favor experience because there's very, very little randomness. And I think that holds true with Senjutsu as well. Also, like Twilight Struggle, there is some benefit in memorizing the cards, knowing what is in, you know, potentially in their deck. 
my biggest downside is you're going to find this game boring if you don't want to put the work in to learn this game. This is a game that will benefit you for playing it a number of times, getting an idea how the plays work, how you need to position yourself for the game. If you just want to run into this game and play it as a, hey, let's just play this and play it real quick and everything, you're going to enjoy it, but I don't think you're going to get the enjoyment that you can possibly get out of this. And you know what? You need to be playing against an opponent that has that same mindset, the same investment as you do. Yeah, so it it's definitely something where outside forces can take it down, can really spoil your gameplay. The biggest downside is I don't think this is one that you can really enjoy just to throw out and play. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a good time playing it, but the enjoyment comes out of multiple plays, learning yes. the specifics of everything, and really digging into this game and mastering it. That's very much like chess, where you get an idea how things work out and you want to play that. You will go into, I need to do this, this, and I'll win. Was it fun and who's it for? I think it's fun, yes. And with everything I just said with downsides, this is one that you could play at a pub, you could play at a coffee shop. It's not something that takes up a lot of room, a lot of space or anything. You can play it. People will come around like, oh, what's this game? What's this? This is interesting. It reminds me a little bit of Unmatched, Mm -hmm. where Unmatched is much simpler. Uh, I mean, you're stuck with a static set of cards. With this one here, it's a step up where you're building the deck that you want. So you know what's going to be in there and you can adapt to what you're going to be playing. So it's definitely for someone who likes those type of games and wants something with a little more meat in it and a little more variability into a game. I hadn't thought of Unmatched, but that's excellent. Uh, If you enjoy Unmatched, this is going to work well for you. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to work well for a group that enjoys feeling clever, uh, bluffing, outsmarting the opponent, while also getting to soak in some theme. There is a ton of theme here. You can visualize what's happening. Like, you know, I always say like, oh, well, it was a worker placement game. So it's really hard to feel like I'm, you know, in the shoes of. It was not hard to put myself in in the boots of this samurai. Like when I would play a card, I'm visualizing my arm, you know, swinging that way. And oh, okay, so those two hexes are what I'm hitting. Well, stabby forward. You know, we're playing. You, you guys couldn't see me. We didn't have the, the cameras on, but but I'm doing this. You know, I'm, I'm thrusting my hand forward right now as though I'm holding a dagger. But Great anytime we play that card, I'm like, content, oh, yeah, okay, Patrick. We can. Great audio content. <laughs> I mentioned GKR earlier. This felt a little bit like that with the deck construction followed by turn-based maneuvering. This is definitely quicker. And I think it's a lot more streamlined. Definitely got unmatched. I think you you hit the nail on the head there, but this is more grandiose. This is a, a yes. deeper game. Remember I said with Unmatched, one of my issues with it was that I feel like they could have done a bit more with the complexity of the cards. They felt very simple. It'd be like playing Magic and you're playing with Healing Salve, Lightning Bolt, and I don't know, name two other cards. And you know, generic cards, simple cards. Yes. And that's Unmatched and just incorporate a board. This felt like, okay, we're not playing with Healing 7 Lightning Bolt. We're playing with, insert two more challenging, complicated magic cards. Uh, and that's that's what we're working with to, to build our deck and to execute our actions. So if you're ready for a step up from Unmatch, this is for you. Was it fun? Absolutely. I'm not a big fan of tactical miniatures. You know what? I keep saying that. And then every time we bring up a tactical miniatures game, I'm like, you know what? I'm not a big fan, but I really like this. 
I might be turning the corner on these tactical miniatures games. Maybe it's because it's one-on-one. A lot of the time, or, or you have one piece and not multiples. Maybe that's the difference right. for me. But And you know what? Maybe it's because we played with the designers. Uh, anytime you, I, I have found any way that anytime we're playing with a designer, their excitement level is through the roof. There's never a pause to check the rule book because they, they know. Sometimes they'll give you a hint. And I think that they're enthralled with the idea that somebody's learning their game and teaching them so you can tell listening to them that they've got a smile on their face you know that sort of thing is contagious so take my yes this was a blast this is the best thing ever with a grain of salt because we were learning it from the designers who were very enthusiastic and quite frankly i'm looking forward to talking with them oh i oh my god that's what the pounding on the door is next door (laughs) wait you're gonna have me pound we did this last time we already used that one all right. Um, is that what the scratching is on the door next the door? The clawing, the the clawing at the windows. Yeah, yeah. I know we're getting close to October, but I didn't think it was time for ghost stories yet. Well, you know what I was thinking about it. We had Clemens come all the way over here whenever we talked with him about magical friends back in September. How about you and I go to England to talk with James and Paul about Sinjutsu? Frequent flyer point. Yes. How you guys doing? Oh my goodness, Scott, it is wet and foggy here and other tropes about England. I know. This is sunny. This is really, this is sweltering. It's a good solid 19 degrees. This is is beautiful. (laughs) And with that, I'm really surprised. It's bigger on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) With that, we've broken the fourth wall. Guys, how are you today? Yeah, pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Enjoying the, yeah. the sweltering heat. <laughs> Is that only wear, I'm count? only wearing a jumper this morning. I mean, it's <laughs> what? practically practically summer. Um, yeah. You guys should have your own show. <laughs> <laughs> Adventurers, we've got James Faulkner and Paul Allen with us today. Well, not with us. We're with them because we uh, we swam to England to join you guys. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Senjutsu. Uh, Battle for Japan, fantastic little game that you gave us the opportunity to play through Tabletop Simulator, uh, intuitive game, you know what, I'm not going to spill all the beans, everybody already heard the 8-bit breakdown, we want to get to know a little bit about the team behind the game, so, you guys ready, we're going to grill you, yeah, okay, we're ready grill to it on, <laughs> serve us up, <laughs> one of the things we always try and do is, we like to find out what got people into this kind of hobby? It's it's not one of those things that you wake up one day and like, I'm going to make a game. So what led you into this? What put you down this path? James, what kind of games do you enjoy? So I think uh, the actual professional side of the industry was started, as all good things, in a pub. And <laughs> basically, I met Paul, um, and I was a co-worker with Paul before I was friends with him, I guess, um, <laughs> in that we were inadvertently sucked into creating a uh, ninja game uh, around a pub table. Oh, yeah. And um, essentially what happened was uh, I was working in finance at the time, and Paul was teaching game theory uh, and game design. And we realized that between us, we had a bit of a yin-yang kind of relationship going on where we were coming at the project from completely different angles. But stuff was happening. Every time we met up and had a good conversation, like crazy productivity was pouring out of that. It kind of started with with a, a small project, our first card game, a Hogs of Water card game. And it was basically a professional pun. 
where we realised that we could do stuff together and we should give it a go. And I think it was one of those lightning in a bottle opportunities you find in life where you realise you've met the right person, you're both at the right time. And it kind of came oh, from there. Isn't that As sweet? to me, gaming... You found the one. <laughs> exactly, I found the one. Paul is my Paul is my professional soulmate in that everything I'm absolutely shit at, he's really good at and vice versa. <laughs> so, Paul, what Yo. do you say? What got you started in this? It's a strange one. I think I've always wanted to do it. This is the, what I came to uh, about, was it four years ago, five years ago? I came into some extra money through uh, grandparents. And basically, I was like, what do I do with this? One day, I bought a coffee shop. Didn't like it. It just scared me. So I reversed back out of the coffee shop. And I was like, why don't I make a board game? I've always played board games as a kid. I just realized there was a, there was a point where I was having a meeting with an artist who was doing the artwork for my first game. I was just really giddy. And he was like, I've never seen someone so excited about spending money on art. And he was like, I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be so good. And I just kind of, it's just been from there. It's it's so much fun. Like all the stresses that I have are my stresses about what the card looks like or how that dice rolls or, or how many times I can play test this thing. And it's, yeah, I think I've always played games. The first game I, I got absolutely addicted to was Hero Quest when I was about seven or eight. Uh, and I played it Yay! every day, right? Um, I played it every day. My parents were... What did you think of the Broad Sode? What, sorry? Have you seen the video, the best thing about Oh, gosh, yeah. Yes. So we're yeah, actually yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. to him. We're actually yeah. speaking to him right now. No. Yeah, yeah, there's a project. Yeah, you're speaking it's a strange yeah. world. Yeah, we're... we're yeah. <laughs> I want him on the show. So if you can get him just to... He's a good guy. Oh, Scott. <laughs> Uh-huh. We don't need Paul and James. We need the hero. The best thing about HeroQuest. I've just, I've just, yeah, that's it now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that I think that um, that kind of the love of that game. I don't know what it was. I played it all the time with my parents. I, I really kind of forced them into playing it, and I like DM'd it. But also, there was points where I'd sandbox it and make my own game. That I'd run it, and the enemy. This is me as an eight-year-old. The enemy had like an AI. Um, like you'd yeah. never mention the idea that you played them because it was quite yeah. geeky and nervous. And now it's like yeah, it I'm nerdy. in a bar and like someone goes, "What do I do?" I'm like, "I games design." And yeah, it's like yeah, so yeah. proud. And they're like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" Yeah, that, that's like. Well, it's of, funny. It's funny you should say that. I think I'd say if you were in any other town in the country, I'd completely agree. The thing with Nottingham is, if you say, "Oh, I design board games." The next girl on the, the table over at the pub says, so what? Because <laughs> so many people in Nottingham work for Games Workshop, Foundry, Northstar, <laughs> Warlord, Mantic, that um, I actually uh, had to say yeah. Nottingham is the one city in England and probably the world where being a games designer, I mean, you might as well just, you might as well work at Tesco's. <laughs> it's not special, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Yeah. Paul, whenever you're doing game designs, this is something that, that goes through in my mind. I was thinking about it this morning, actually. Whenever you're making up a game or coming up with an idea, yeah. what comes first? Do you have like the idea of the setting or is there a mechanic that you build a setting around? What normally comes up? My kind of what happened was when I was at school, instead of doing like games design as it wasn't a thing, I tried to figure out, I'll come to the point. There is a point to this tangent. Um, I, can't, I tried to be creative in some way. So I'd always want to kind of, like, even through HeroQuest, telling kind of some sort of story, right? It's like there's, there's something happening in there. And so the only things that were available to me at, at like school and kind of college was film studies and how to progress that way. So I actually went into TV and film. So I was actually working. <laughs> I won't say what I was doing. I, I could see Jane smile, actually. I, I filmed, I was a cameraman, and I used to write my own scripts and little stories. 
And so I, I filmed darts. Wow. He filmed the darts. I used to film darts. It doesn't get much more British Wait. than that, does it? I used to film oh. darts. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, 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 have, I have 30, 40 books of just ideas and stuff. So going back to the original question, where, what does it come first? Very rarely the mechanics. It's always a theme for me, like a narrative. Something has to happen, mm-hmm. almost like a cinematic. Like how does that player feel? excited or good how how are they going to overcome this evil or or how are they going to work together like cooperatively like the first game i made was basically predator the movie as a board game because i wanted people to play together that was so important Mm -hmm. so the actual thematic was there before the mechanics and then the mechanics kind of slotted in and then obviously then it's back and forth tweaking but was this full moon jacket this is full moon jacket yeah it's an interesting one interesting kind of story of um how he reads board games, together. doesn't understand what the hell he's doing um, outside of the book game. I mean, hopefully, it's got some really good feedback. The game, Touchwood, is is a great game. Um, it had financial issues around it because it was yeah. basically just me. I was making a game to rival a cool mini or not game, and it was literally just mm-hmm. one person. <laughs> and after a while, you kind of realize that's just insane. It doesn't work. You can't do it. Hence James, really. Hence well, that that was it. That was kind of how we how we how our relationship moved to the next level. That was the second date. Was uh, <laughs> oh, me finding wow. out a lot of time to nurture the relationship. Yeah. Well, I second just found base. out. I met Paul, and then I was like, "Ah, oh, this game, this game designing malarkey is kind of fun, isn't it?" And then Paul was like, oh, "Yeah, I've kind of already done it, oh, and uh, I kind of messed it up. <laughs> Depends which cut you want to use that." Um, and I swooped in like a mighty eagle. And kind of came on board his project. And, and, and a folk majestic. A almost. Yeah, yeah, like a folk, yeah, like a peregrine falcon, 220 miles an hour. I found his project. Full moon, <laughs> exactly. Um, I found his project, Full Moon Jacket. And I think there was a lot of um, ostrich-like um, burying the head in the sand, which is a myth, by the way. They don't do that. But um, they, uh, yeah, I found Paul, and he kind of had this project, this beautiful project, Full Moon Jacket. He had all the files ready, but I think it had now reached a negative point in your life, If correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. where you didn't want to approach it. Because you go on to like, the Kickstarter, for example, and the messages would be like, you know, I'll find you and kill you with this shiv because you haven't given me my board game and stuff. Like crazy, crazy, like stuff um and obviously it's because it oh been... that was me yeah <laughs> it took a long time to get it, the I game sorry. Now. I like, i'm sorry <laughs> well, i think the thing is and it's perfectly understandable is if you have like a project that's three years old they, you've taken money off someone and then there's been nothing off the back of it and and there can be plenty of reasons for that from like anxiety um from like a, like depression uh from like the, the the fear of the project that's perfectly understandable and so when you came into it because i was from an external point of view my viewpoint i wasn't so emotionally connected to it so i could open those messages i could deal with those people and and, and to me it, it wasn't um it didn't represent anything negative in my life and mm-hmm. i think that was kind of our first quest and and we, yeah. we, we're just finishing it up now with the final deliveries but we got all 500 odd copies of foreman jacket ships um yeah. and that was kind I mean, of i I proved to Paul that hey, I can do things that you can't. I can I can do this admin side of it. I can do this tough business side of it. You know, and and Paul proved to me that actually he could finish a project. And, and his graphic design on that project is superb. And and the game itself is very 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 good. And I think that's kind of probably one of the cornerstones of our relationship working together was me coming in and helping him fix that problem. And we built a lot of trust doing that. Yeah, I just I, I kind of reiterate and add to that is this. Something, uh, this is what I didn't know. Um, obviously, making the game, obviously, the crowdfunding is incredible. Like, it gives opportunity to anyone to make something that they always wanted to make. 
But then after that, you, no one, you can read as many Stonemaier kind of blogs and podcasts as much as you want. And then if someone, it's it's outside of that Kickstarter where you have to fulfill and you're speaking to China and you're speaking to other people and you, if you've got no business acumen or sense, it's a world that you've never known about. And I was a 30, mm-hmm. so mid 30s guy who's reasonably kind of like confident stuff just thrown into a world that i had no idea what to do and then obviously it starts to build and build and build every week's another week that you don't know what you're doing and you just it's it's, it crushes you i think you mentioned scott like you it's a hobby this this industry is a hobby industry so anyone can be part of it which is beautiful the problem is the expectation now has gone through the roof yeah um if you look back on kickstarter say like the cool minute zombie side kind of trend around the 2014 Games now look incredible, which is great. Games mm-hmm. about three years before that, look, I'm not going to say trash, but they look different. Like you can see in the whole of I picked up, like you pick up Dominion and you go, yeah. this is from the 80s, right? It's like, no, this is early 2000s. You're like, yeah. how? Like what happened between that yeah. and Kormit, like the Kickstarter revolution almost? So yeah, you know, a little bit before this episode goes live, we did Viticulture as uh, one of our reviews, mm-hmm. and we actually did a little bit of research. We looked into the original Kickstarter, I yeah. believe that was 2012, and the the amount of information or lack thereof on the page at the time uh, for 2012, it was cream of the crop. You couldn't get any better than the production quality of Viticulture, and it still, to an extent, holds up today. But we have had games that we've reviewed that are a little bit older, and we say, you know, this game's phenomenal, but if it was on Kickstarter now, it might not even fund because it doesn't have any of the flash. You do have to uh, you have to have some glitter on, you know, some some silver linings and something to really wow yeah. people beyond the gameplay, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. When you, you look at movies, you look at other media, and it's like everyone's doing it, and they always have been doing it. Yeah. This film industry isn't a hobbyist industry. Writing a novel, you know, you know the right people. TV is not a hobbyist industry. So, but board games kind of is and isn't. It's this weird amalgamation of like anyone can be part of it. Like, like James was saying in Nottingham, there's so many people that are part of this industry, also just hobbyists. And it's like, it's taking that leap across. But then obviously when you do leap across, do you then lose that kind of like a, people want that honesty of like the number of people that email us and speak to us directly about our game, which is great. When the hell could you phone up like, oh, Francis Ford Coppola, man, your movie sucks. And he's like, oh, thanks for thanks for calling me, man. Like, that doesn't happen. So well, it's, that's it's a strange world. Right I, was in, um, I was on holiday in Bologna last year, and I'd just reached the summit of, like, a historic Italian chapel, like, you know, 1,200 years old. And my phone goes off, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. Should I answer this? I answer it. And the guy's like, hi, mate. Um... In Hogs of Water card game, if I play a bayonet and then I play this card, and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) like, like I answer it. And then he's like, oh, where are you? It sounds a bit windy. And I'm like looking over a mountainscape. (laughs) 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 And I just think... You can't make that up. No, and the thing is, like, it's... um, as Paul said, like it's the the connect the connection between I think creator and fan 
is a lot tighter in this industry than it is in any other media. Like there's, you know, you're not getting within 500 meters of Martin Scorsese before someone's going to rugby tackle you. But um, if you go to board games, you can go to UKGE, you can go to Gen Con, you can go to these expos and you can literally meet the guy who created this game that you've sunk hundreds of hours into. And I think that's a wonderful side of our industry that, for example, like coming from finance, like just wasn't a thing. Like, you know, you wouldn't, you would never meet higher ups because they'd be off somewhere else doing something important um and, and it's so accessible uh, it does have its drawbacks but I, I do love the industry for that so you guys are working together as a team and things seem to be going uh, much more smoothly you have one person that uh, correct me if i'm wrong i would from what i'm gathering paul sounds more like the creative end james seems more like the analytical and that's the I, yin and I, the. i think i think james we, is giving me the I, thumbs I up the and, uh, is, paul's giving me thumbs up and james is like no no we, no, no, no we no. get put like that but i think that's <laughs> yeah it's funny it's it's really funny it's like an organic everyone sees us and they just assume like oh that's that I don't. Well, I'm Paul ADHD. Has the big I'm, beard. Actually, I'm on. I'm on. I'm That's actually well medicated right? today. The, but I normally thing. knock on Paul's door at about 8 a.m. in my pajamas with a can of Red Bull, and I'm like, Paul, Paul, what if trees could talk? Board goes, and then Paul just Paul goes away. He's like, proven his creativity. He, right there. he just oh closes God, the door. So <laughs> Close so the door and lock it. It's, so yeah, you two are working together, and at some point you came up with this idea for Senjutsu. Now, Paul, you had said that typically you get the theme, the the idea of the world first, and then the mechanics sort of get you know placed in. So tell us a little bit about how Senjutsu came to you. I assume that it came to the both of you, or one of you pitched it to the other. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the inception of Senjutsu Battle for Japan. So I'll have to give this to James, actually, which is really annoying. Um, so James he had is this... the more uh, creative type. Well, right? <laughs> With his eagle metaphors constantly. Um, mm-hmm. So James has kind of started a, a kind of a passion for it. I mean, you probably should talk about it first. But um, mm. it, it was you had the, the interesting thing is, this is a game where you actually broke the rule of what you come up with. You played a video game first, mm. and the video game kicked this all off. I think that's the first point, right? Yeah. What game? Um, it's um, last, not like New Year's Eve, the, the year before. Um, the lockdown's kind of screwed around time. About two years ago. Uh, me and my son, we were playing on his Switch, and we found a game called One Strike, and it was a side a beat-em-up. But it was basically, it was so simple. Like each character had three buttons, essentially. And what you had to mm-hmm. do was basically you just had to hit the other person, and then he defeated him one strike, <laughs> ironically. And it was basically playing that. And then I was like, oh, man, I could turn this into a car game. And we both turned into a car game within minutes. Like literally, like, oh, we just reverse engineer it, put it down. And it's actually really fun. The, the main mechanic um, that we had was basically you play your cards at the same time and flip them. So you simultaneously, mm-hmm. to create that kind of tension of like, you don't know what the other person's going to do. Like the video game, you don't know what they're going to press. It's real time. So it's trying to simulate that real time in a card game, keeping that kind of combat mechanic. And we just basically designed it. Then I just took it, took it to, I was still teaching at the time. I took it to work. Uh, and everyone, I was like, man, just play this. I got something here. And we played it. And I was like, everyone was like, this is something here. Like, it's ridiculous. There's actually something here. And then we played it a little bit more. And then James got hold of it. And basically, I, I kept the original. I really love the idea of, like, the one strike. Like, very, again, going cinematic, like, my kind of background. Like, I love Akira Kurosawa movies. I did, it like, film studies, like, 16-year-old. I was, like, obsessed with Seven Samurai and Yojimbo and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so having that kind of, like, that one hit, like, really everything. Everyone's trying to get to that perfect position of that one strike. But the thing is, when you play that, no one, everyone's 
terrified. You because you anything any card reveal you could instantly lose. And James was like, "No one takes any risks." No, and that's it. And then it, basically, it wasn't enough. It wasn't game enough. Um, it was yeah. cinematic enough, but you, again, you, you're expecting people to control it and nervous people over confident people. It, it throws kind of yeah, it locked like, out balance out. Of, it locked out a lot of types of gamers just because um, the, the stakes were too high. Like the investment into the game was you set it up and then it's one mistake and you're dead. And the problem is, like, I, I don't think people like to play those games. Some people do, <laughs> no. like a small amount of people do, but most people it would put their back up. It's too, it's too much pressure too quickly. So Paul goes off a narrative structure. When Paul creates something, he does it off a narrative. I like feeling. I like like a specific feeling. And if you can capture a feeling, for me, that's a great game. The story was, Paul brought his game over to me and me and my partner played it. And she hated it. Absolutely hated it. Um, and I was like, okay, there's some re- there's a reason here. And it's because the pressure dials up. And so what, what I thought, well, I started to gamify it. But the, the thing that we wanted to ensure was in the game was you're in a fe- the feeling of a fight. Like it feels like a duel. It feels like you are in armor. You have got a sword. You can't do anything but fight this guy and kill him because if you don't kill him, he's going to kill you. And with Senjutsu, our main headline aim for that game is making sure that feeling is distilled into the game at every level so that you can make one mistake. But if it's the, if it's a bad mistake, it could then eventually lead to your death. And, and I'm a, well, we're both massive suckers for history, but, um, I think what's startling is that you watch Hollywood films, uh, like Kurosawa films, which aren't Hollywood, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and it'll be the, the one cut and the samurai's dead. But if you go back to the original material, the original woodblock paintings of samurai um, warfare, you will see samurai pierced with dozens of arrows cut from a, like cut with a, a thousand different places and they're still fighting. And, and I think I wanted to then drag the game into that and, and make it so that this game will feel like it's not a slog because we've condensed it down to 15, 20 minutes, but it certainly mm-hmm. feels like a grueling, bloody, beautiful, like smash fest of like, you're trying everything in your repertoire to kill me. And I'm trying everything in my repertoire to kill you. And, yeah. and I think that's the feeling that we wanted to put into the game. Yeah. I, I think at the base of it is this, at the minute I keep selling it, like what's it like? It's very much like, sexy chess there's something really chess based in it you've got there's no variable as such that you can go it's look based because it isn't apart from drawing cards in that order that's the only variable in there but also it's like the the final showdown like 1v1 in a poker tournament because you can bluff people and also there's the stress of like i honestly don't know what they're gonna do but i got a good feeling and again it's reading the person so this game plays incredible i think you guys have played obviously on tabletop simulator this game plays so well in reality. Like, it's terrifyingly, scarily good. Um, we played at the UK Games Expo, and we had... I played it non-stop. With what about 200 people. play tests, didn't we? 200 play tests oh, in wow. three days. It was non-stop. Yeah. Every 20 minutes, we had people queuing we to play. We queues, yeah. Absolutely. And that's what's really kind of gone, hang on a second, this is like, we, yeah. we like this game, but uh, and other also, people like it, it now. Like, this that, is mad. And that queuing system as well integrated people that we really were looking for and loved that, that we didn't just have... 30-year-old blokes, hardcore gamers that played Magic. We had 
uh, women and children playing it. We had grandparents and their grandchildren playing it. We had young teenagers playing it. We had older blokes playing it. I got out bluffed by an 11 year old. It was, yeah, one of the best plays of the whole like weekend was this kid just slammed a card down and flipped it. And I was like, I never saw that coming. And that, and that's one thing that we really, really treasure about it as well is that I think a lot of games, they either cater towards like tournament play and hardcore play. Or they cater towards um, like soft, everyone that's held hands and skip around play. And I think there can't, why not create a game that can do both? A game that you could just have a, a, a laugh for your mates, you know, over beers, 15 minutes, no committal. But also there's a vision for this product in that you would take your painted samurai that's painted as you want to paint it. You take your deck of cards and you take it to a friendly local game store. And you also have a very like cerebral tournament experience for this game and, and we kind of i said that. to scott uh, i'm one of those 30 year old gamer blokes as, <laughs> as you call them uh had a big history of playing magic the gathering and i said to scott this is the kind of game that i want to back six copies of it i can't afford to i see you smiling Have <laughs> i'd say cash registers that's why <laughs> because i can i can envision having a tournament with this yeah. game it's cutthroat and strategic enough that i feel like i can outsmart the other player and yet it's also lighthearted enough where if i wanted to play with with my nephew i could get away with that and you know what he could still outsmart me yeah. and he could still surprise me with a player too it it does cater to both i love the idea of having like a, an eight person you know once once you lose a game you're out yeah. and then just brackets keep going until you have the the winner the battle for japan so guys, we have a whole lot of theme behind this game. It's it's tactically phenomenal. I want to ask you a little bit about the components because Scott and I got to play against you two on Tabletop Simulator where everything looks gorgeous. And you know what? I could put any kind of rubbish together and as long as I you know make the uploads to Tabletop Simulator look gorgeous, it's going to be that way. Now, I assume that at uh, UKG, at the Games Expo, you guys were playing, playing with a physical prototype. Tell us a little bit about the miniatures, the board. I mean, the artwork in TTS is phenomenal. I assume that translates to the cards, to, to the game. The box looks gorgeous. I'm going to let you guys have the floor and tell us a little bit about the components in the game. So I think with components, uh, we believe that a game, if it's fun to play and the components are high quality, the game will have presence on your shelf for a long, long time. And to me, nothing kills a gaming experience more is that when you get that click moment of, oh, this game's been done on the cheap and you see it through artwork that's been replicated too much, thin cards, uh, shoddy miniatures. Now, I'm a war gamer from, from my background, so Warhammer, uh, Bolt Action, uh, Styles Armada, and the miniature quality is... is Keep it is, quiet, Scott. <laughs> I'm nodding well, back here. And hey, look at this. What's that? Best player in England? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so good. I'm... Um, He's good. I, I love Wait, best player in England. Hold on, yeah. we can't yeah, just yeah, let yeah. that go. Go on, Jay. <laughs> I assume there's some sort of uh, uh, something to back that statement. Yeah, well, they, I've just uh, I just won a bolt action tournament, um, the international. Oh, so I won you got the, the little trophy yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I'm surrounded by them. I, they're everywhere, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Can I have it? No, you have to win it off me. <laughs> um, my point would be though is that. A game will endure if it's got the highest quality components that the game can afford. And miniature, when you put miniatures into a game, especially if they're beautiful miniatures, they suddenly open the game to a new market, which is painters. And there's nothing better for free marketing than having beautiful copies of your game painted. 
Uh, and one of the things I wanted to do with this product, being a war gamer, is get it into the hands of painters, get it into the hands of modelers, so that even if you weren't into the gaming side of the hobby, you could buy this product at a reasonable price point and enjoy the miniatures. And then looking at the game and thinking, oh, it only t- lasts 15, 20 minutes a game, maybe I'll give it a go. Uh, in that way, it, we, we've hopefully created almost a gateway product in, in that painters and people outside of this side of the industry, the gaming side of it, will be drawn in and give it a go. If you looked at Hogs of War, the miniatures game, we took samples to UKGE and the thing we've insisted on with our manufacturer is quality. Everything is done to the nines. Paul is a graphic designer and will spend 40 hours a week just hammering components, making sure they look the best they can do. And then when it comes to print, we always insist on the highest quality the budget can afford, even if that means gouging our pockets a little to make that game better. A great example, and I think one that really encapsulates our philosophy of stone sword games with quality is that this the hogswater card game we sold like 2000 copies and they came to the uk we realized there was a misprint in oh well not misprint it was a it was a typo in the rule book there was like a couple of commas in the wrong place and we went through all 2000 copies of the rule book pulled them out of the boxes and handmade new ones, cut them to fit because they didn't fit, and then put them in. And and I think it's because that we both realised that our game output, what we make as a product, is also our legacy. You know, long after we're dead, Mm -hmm. we want people to remember, oh, back it wasn't Senjutsu good, you know, know, like look back (laughs) in it. Because ultimately, if we put out a game with a crappy quality product, even if it's the greatest game in the world, it'll be out of gamers' minds within, you know, a few weeks, and they'll never touch it ever again. I think gamers are a little bit more keen to these things now too, mm. uh, with reviews. And I always, I always felt like, you know what, it's kind of nitpicky to be like, well, the cards were a little bit thinner than I would expect, or the, the miniatures weren't tabletop quality. And it's like, I mean, come on, you got your minis, but at the end of the day, they're all talking I, about I think that and um, buyers are yeah. very conscientious of it. Yeah. There is a nitpickiness to it. And the entitlement that, that goes with that nitpickiness, you could debate that for days of whether that's justified or not. But ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I'm a snob. <laughs> so when I make my own game, We weren't going to say when, anything. When I make my own game, though, I, I want it to be good. Like, I don't I don't care. But like, if I play a, a local game that's been made up the road and it's they've made 300 copies of it and it's made handmade and it's, you know, and if it's a wonderful game, I'm going to enjoy it for being a wonderful game. But if I want to say that we put out good product and then we cut corners i'm not sleeping at night it's a selfish snobbery that about my own product where i want to always put out the best example of the game we can do and me knowing i can kick paul's ass <laughs> to work on the graphic design to make it better and better and better paul me and paul are screaming matches like <laughs> you know like paul will, paul will makes so paul comes at it from a very artistic point of view and i come from a functional point of view and paul will make an icon like 0.2 of a font size too small and i'll be like paul this all re- need redoing and we'll have the argument and you know we'll throw glasses and shoes at each other and everything but I eventually <laughs> eventually it gets fixed <laughs> if you know what i mean we have something even in just right now and there's if james had his way everything would be 72.8 just be like it, but you can read it from a mile away cool it looks like trash i come at it like i'm staring at the screen this far away so obviously something that's like 0.6 looks fine to me we print it out i'm, I'm looking at it, it's beautiful and james goes i can't read it and then i look yeah. at it and go 
<laughs> but I'm kind of like, do I, do I also tell him I can't read it, or do I fight that corner? Like, oh, but it looks amazing, right? <laughs> uh, we so, like yeah, a married nice. couple. We keep clashing, and then the thing that's made in the middle is, is hopefully yeah. the sort of balance. trying to find the balance yeah, with form and function. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that the test we did with Senjutsu is um, we put it on a table as though it was set up for a game. And uh, you know, in um, you know, in movie casino movies you always have the main characters at the table and then you have the background characters peering in over their shoulders to look at the cards mm-hmm. we tested senjutsu under those same principles which was we've had the game set up on a table and because of the simultaneous reveal that's a really beautiful mechanic for tension and excitement because until that card's flipped no one knows what anyone's got and the game could swing on that so when we tested the graphic design for senjutsu we've made sure that the final printed version will be readable from over someone's shoulder so that when you go to a store or you're watching your mates play around someone's house we can have that tense moment where everyone's crowded around the table waiting for the card reveal but at the same time the size of the um, pieces that that requires is balanced against the artistic side of it which comes from paul's like very very experienced graphic design career definitely agree with you on the miniatures part i come from the wargaming background too so as soon as I saw yours, it was one of those things where I got to throw a primer on this. I got to get some paints on this. And it's it's just such a fabulous thing to see there. So it really does look like a beautiful, beautiful game. And so much thought into the experience that people not playing the game are getting. You're trying to get people that aren't actually playing to have as much enjoyment as the people playing. Yeah. So that's a great thing to think of and a great point that you put in there. Well, it comes from my own personal experience at Wargaming tournaments, which is sometimes the best memories are if you and your opponent finish the game early and you're playing a team-based event and you go mm. and have to go and watch your teammate absolutely throw the last game. <laughs> yeah. And you're like biting your fingers like, oh God, what's he doing moving his panther tank like that? Or, you know, you know. and um, I, I think that's a wonderful part of the hobby because it's very inclusive. It, it feels like... Um, it feels like it, it, it's the side of the hobby that sports has that we don't, which is, you know, participation. There is also an enjoyment mm-hmm. in participation, in being part of that tribe, observing a thing. And we've definitely wanted to put that into Senjutsu because we feel like, because as Paul said, it's like sexy chess. Well, you can watch a chess game and it is, if you know if you know, if you know chess, they can be very, very exciting. Um, and so why not have that with Senjutsu? Um, it's much better than having a game that's completely incomprehensible from shoulders up, you know, for, for observers. Well, it's easy to determine the board state in a game of Senjutsu at a glance. Yeah. You can see how many points of damage each person's taken, where their token is on the chemistry, tree, and you can say, okay... I know, just from a, a quick one-minute assessment, what I would do in this Correct. situation. Now yeah. I want to see what they would do. You can do that with chess uh, and, and other similar you games. You can't do that well. with yeah. – exactly. You can't do it with, you know, On Mars yeah. or, or some some big sprawling Euro game. There's, there's a whole lot more to assess, so it's not as much of a, a spectator sport. Let's transition things over to the Kickstarter. We've got a Kickstarter coming up. I want you guys to share with the adventurers what we can expect when we back Senjutsu. When I wake up and I see that game on Kickstarter, what are the pledge levels like? How many minis come in the box? Tell us about the Kickstarter. How long is it going to take? The timeline, the stretch goals, the MSRP. I can't talk. The timeline, the stretch goals, the MSRP. Uh, so I'll give excited. the. F- He's so excited. <laughs> no, really, I, I just I ran out of breath. 
<laughs> so, because I can't think of what to say next. <laughs> so, the core pledge for um, Senjutsu will be four miniatures starting, which is the student, the master, the Ronin, and the warrior. It will be we we're going to price it very keenly. So, if we can make it fifty dollars, um, that works. That works our end because it means that we can put it into people's houses and get as many copies out as possible. Because when you compare that against equivalent quality miniatures, such as Games Workshop, like $50 for four miniatures and the 270 <laughs> cards is, is peanuts. Um, mm-hmm. It creates like, an accessibility about the game as well. Because at the end of the day, like we, we want as many people as possible to play this game and enjoy it, because we do think we've got a system here that people can pick up and expand as the product evolves. So at your core pledge, you've got four miniatures, a battlefield board and you've got 270 cards now every samurai in senjutsu has a deck of 40 ability cards that represents the core of what they can do so not only will we have asymmetrical character cards that are specific to each character and that gives them the flavor and the play and the feel we also have a lot of generic ability cards which will form like tranche like a library of cards from which you can customize that deck so we're already looking at like dozens and dozens of hours of gameplay because you could play the Ronin very differently to how Scott plays the Ronin. There was a time in college I distinctly remember in my brain sitting there in a, in a, we'll say English literature, I'm sitting in English literature and I distinctly remember drawing, like writing up deck lists for a magic tournament and tweaking it. And I would, okay, what if I drop the lightning bolt and I add the fourth Savannah Lions? Do I run all four? And before I know (laughs) it, I've got six pages of like a red, white jank deck and trying all because i can't determine if i want one more one drop two power creature or if i want one more spell and i could see doing that with this you have the opportunity to flavor your guy not just with the unique cards to the student for example but from that generic pool that you're pulling from do i want three copies of this or should i only run two and sub in this silver card well in the core game each character would come with their preset deck which is a deck that Paul and I have composed that we feel represents the archetypal fighting style of that samurai. So the Ronin mm. is fueled by rage and by revenge and he's he's a driven character that's very aggressive he's very face but at the same time like his maneuverability is kind of low. So if you get behind the Ronin you can start taking him out. Well the master is kind of the beginner's character in that he's super defensive, super flexible and as long as you can soak enough the enemy's big attacks you can then whittling down that'll be in at the core and then the rest of the hundreds and hundreds of the cards will allow you to completely t- change that character's play style and tweak it one of the things that paul and i are going to do as well is we're going to bring out post kickstarter supportive online resources that allow you to make card decks so that you can compose a card deck like you would have done at college and you can build it online and then print it so that when you go to a tournament or you go to a game the idea is you'd hand your card list to the opposing player in the same way that if you go to a wargaming tournament you hand your army list to the other player because then what happens is you create a level of skill with this game where a high skill player will know the cards and will know oh i've got to watch out for that 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 attack speed six i've got a parry at speed six on this card i need to make sure that card is in my hand at the early stages of the game or mid stages of the game Uh, and that's something that we will think will foster a very competitive atmosphere with this game yeah, I mean, um, I just add, add to that as well, like narratively and thematically, it's imagining that if you come across this person that you've heard of, like imagine it's feudal Japan and like come across like um, James is part of the Oda clan, for example, I kind of know, and this is what the list does, I kind of know what he can do because I've seen him fight before. And that's what it's kind of doing, because when you don't know what's in that 40 card deck, I mean, 
if, if there's a Ronin on the table, I've got a rough idea. But then the player could play completely differently. And it's it comes back to the reveal again. It's kind of, if you don't know the game and you don't know, the first time you play it, we've got like tutorial preset decks, which are identical. And it's a brilliant kind of play of like, everyone plays the same. But once you play it, you want to take stuff out and put stuff in. But you need to roughly know what the other person's doing. It needs yeah. to be that kind of, to get that really beautiful kind of play. Otherwise, you, you it's a kind of bit more kind of guess. Like mm-hmm. with magic, if you didn't know, like, like hence the red, right? If someone was taking a red deck, you can't roughly know what that means. If it was like you, you could have do an anything, idea of what's coming, yeah. If you could do anything, you'd be like, how do I play against this? Yeah. Um, and I played um, L five Legend of the Five Rings card game recent. Um, I said recently, like three years ago, <laughs> and it got to the point where there were so many expansions, so many cards. I play someone. I have no idea yeah. what they've got in their deck. And I can't, I then just play, I can't play against them. I just play my game. Like yeah, I forget. I too many very, yeah, yeah, at that point it just becomes a crapshoot. Yeah. So we don't want that. We want to kind of keep it more constructive. Uh, the, the other thing about these decks is they work against the solo variant of the game. So the solo variant of the game is going to be packaged in from day one. And what Paul and I are doing is we're creating asymmetrical personalized decks for different types of enemies and they have abstracted cards that are different from the main cards in the game so they don't resemble ordinary player ability cards they have their own style of ability cards and what it allows us to do is to say well the ronin he plays like this for a player so in the ai we want him to play like this and for 15 cards that are going to get shuffled, we've created a fantastic AI solo system so that every character in that core game and the add-ons will be represented by their own solo deck that flavors them as though you're fighting them on the battlefields of feudal Japan. The base box, you said, is going to come out $50 for Kickstarter. Sounds awesome. There's tons of stuff in there. With Kickstarters, a lot of times people look at, well, what else are we going to get? Are there any add-ons? Are there any special things that will be coming along with the Kickstarter? So, yeah, we have lots of stuff. We have so many ideas for it. One thing that we've kind of, we do is future-proof stuff a little bit. So rather than just throwing it out there and that's it, it was like, what else can it do? So obviously with the core game, you've got the four characters. There's a kind of narrative with those. Um, but there's also, um, we're bringing in add-ons with a kind of a jewel. So they'll come in pairs. So we're going to have a ninja versus a Sohei monk. So again, we try to be historically accurate as possible. Everything that we do, we have evidence of. So that's the reason. So the actual ninja, this is really important. Everyone's like, oh man, we've got ninjas. We, we need ninjas. Ninjas kind of just existed. And we've hit the point, 1579 to 1581, they exist in this province called Iga. Um, they were kind of this this kind of they did guerrilla warfare. Oh, everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, so we're having kind of the ninja. Nothing. Come on. I was expecting laughter everywhere. Okay. I just. <laughs> so we're just going to scratch that. I, I didn't want to not fall <laughs> off his uh, rhythm. I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> We've got the ninja and the monk. So there's kind of like um, I'm not saying good and evil, but kind of obviously one that fights a little bit sneaky and one fights very kind of there's yeah. um. Honesty, it's honorable, chivalry, Japanese chivalry. So obviously the monk is coming with a big old yari spear. So they've got like a range, but they're quite quick as well. And then the ninja, we've got a really nice mechanic that they actually have part of your deck construction. So this is kind of a mechanic we're putting in with this just character at the moment. Is they have they select three hidden secret weapons that they play face down at the start of the game, and instead of playing a card, they could flip one of those and kind of do something. So they're very sneaky and you don't know what they're doing. But obviously, once they've used them, they're kind of panicky. 
So we've got those. So those two characters come with obviously their unique decks and unique mechanics. And then there's another pair. So and they're solo got... cards. Let me just let me oh yeah, say. solo cards. So obviously each one then you could take the ninja and then their 15 solo card deck. They fight obviously like the ninja. We what we want them to fight like. And so you could play against each one. So not only can you play as them, you can play against them. And obviously the pairing is is obviously because. The core game is a, is a duel at heart, um, even though it works really well. Like two versus two is incredible, but realistically, one versus one is kind of the the purity of it, which shall we say? Um, and then the other add-on we have, and we've got a Ronin who has a, a lot of armor in the game. But yeah. We have a armored older older gentleman, yeah, shall we so, say? So um, the other, the other, other um, add-on, I'll, I'll cover the other add-on because it's my it's my baby, Fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the Portuguese the Portuguese came to Japan in. I think 1540 was around the first kind of meeting and then more more and more Portuguese came because the priesthood realized it was another place they could proselytize and spread Christianity. And what happened was when Japan received these foreigners, it, the, it really, really changed the social landscape of Japan. Um, so you had this big growing middle class, you had a lot more merchants gained a lot more power. The, Japan used, feudal Japan used to have a caste system. Merchants were seen as very, very low in that caste system because they essentially changed money and sold what other people made. And when the Portuguese arrived, because they were working through these merchants, it really shook up Japan's cultural um, background. So our second add-on is essentially the old way versus the new way. What we base that add-on is uh, a samurai who is the archetypal Bushido Edo period um, samurai. So he's got a ton of armor. He's got like he wields a, a katana, and he's got a he's got a yari, which is a, bu- uh, a, a yumi, sorry, which is his bow, and, and then he's fighting close approximation of William Adams, who is an English sailor who was working for the Dutch, who um, shipwrecked onto onto Japan, and he eventually rose up and became a samurai himself. And what we've got in this second oh. add-on is a is an English sailor in typical attire at the time, and he's got a pistol and he's got a, like a, a sword of the local pattern. And he's fighting an old samurai, and that thematically is the old versus the new in that add-on. That sounds amazing. What do we think in price? I assume that they come with a miniature. Yes. So uh, each add-on, the- each add-on in um, pounds is eighteen pounds. So I think that's uh, twenty-five dollars. Yeah, around $25. Nobody knows. So around $25, I think it will come out about it. So you're getting for that two characters and two decks of cards, including the solo cards for both of those characters. So not only are you expanding the tournament potential of the game and the casual play of the game, but you're also expanding the solo at the same time. The third add-on we have actually comes free if you back the Kickstarter in the first 48 hours, and that is a ninja armed with a... Kurisiga? Kurisirigama. It's basically a sickle with a chain attached and has a ball on the end. It's a Mm. kind of... It was a peasantry. It was to kind of remove crops. It's a magic card. (laughs) It's a magic card. Kasari Gama. Yeah, he's the yeah. of a magic card. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, so just... he comes equipped with a magic card. <laughs> um, but yeah, the miniature's something, i, I got to be honest. I mean, we've had the idea for a little while. We had like a prototype made up about, it was going to be one of the original characters. But the, that, without giving too much weight, it's beautiful. It actually has the spinning, the chain is actually part of it. So it basically looks like a propeller. So it's spinning the chain around. It's an incredible piece. So you get the action. Oh, wow, it's exactly. not just one piece yeah, coming we're, off. we're trying to get oh, that thematic. That's so a lot of miniatures, I mean, something, a lot of the characters, we want them to be yeah. doing officially like what they will be doing and giving that sense of urgency. Of, like they're moving, they're doing yeah. stuff right now. Rather than just uh, yeah. standing there looking cool, it's like they're standing there looking right. cool, doing so a thing that they should be doing. Well. 
in our yeah. team as well, this relates to that, is uh, we've got a Japanese lady and we've got a martial artist as well as a background team. And their jobs are basically to have oversight over the project. And yeah. we, we, although the game is not going to be historically accurate to the point of like, it's not going to be pedantic. It's not going to be, you know, you're simulating exactly this. At the same time, we're not doing Joan of Arc with demons. We are doing a game set in feudal <laughs> Japan. <laughs> so what we've got is this martial artist is coming back to us and saying, well, these hands need adjusting and this, yeah. this head posture is adjusting. <laughs> so we are eventually um, going to, so when the game ships, all the miniatures will be in historically grounded poses, doing things that are realistic. So, yeah, just just a, just an example yeah. of that. We basically the student is is drawing a sword. Um, they're all right-handed. Something that I I flipped an image and got told off. Um, don't <laughs> my, you can't be left-handed. That's disgraceful. <laughs> so they're holding it with the right hand. But we sent our miniature looks great. But then we've been told the hand would be right next to the hilt. Like it wouldn't be like just away from it. So again, we're going to the model maker just to shift it down three mil just to yeah. get it officially correct. So everything is, mm-hmm. is as tight as we can get it with all the kind of background all information. The, all the got. Japanese history and yeah. the kanji and stuff have had oversight as well um, from a lovely Japanese lady who's basically making sure that we don't make any missteps on that as well. So yeah, because yeah. originally the student, can I just say, so originally the student, I went out onto like forums trying to find like what, what the student would be called. So officially we wanted all the characters to have a Japanese name. And so I was like, oh, what the student be called? And I found a word that was like student. Oh, perfect. And we gave it to this lady and she basically went, that means schoolgirl. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> okay, he's not called schoolgirl. Um, and it's just because it, it did mean student, but a particular type of student. And obviously, yeah. I have no idea. So I was like, okay, yep, you're taking this from me. Just you give me I see an opportunity for another add-on here, or perhaps an expansion. <laughs> right. If you guys need another person on your team, <laughs> let's let's yeah. hear the idea. Well, guys, I, let's hear the idea first. <laughs> Guys, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited for this. The playthrough was phenomenal. You've got a winner here. It, I mean, listeners, if you can't tell, these guys have done their homework. They both have a beard. Paul's is cooler, but still, I mean, you, you can trust that they put their time and energy behind this game. I'm looking forward to the Kickstarter. Scott, I don't think we have to wish them luck on this, do we? No, no. This game has so much going for it. Like you said, I mean, you can sum it up in the two words. Sexy chess. Uh, you know it. So Hashtag sexy chess. You, you know, whenever this gets to my house and I take it to the shop, I'll be saying, who wants to play sexy chess? <laughs> Everyone starts um, stripping off. <laughs> oh, we're going to play my copy, Scott. <laughs> oh, we'll have two copies. We can oh. do tournaments. Yes, absolutely. But uh, with Patrick and I, we are going to be talking this thing up for months because we're really excited. At for least game. four or five days. <laughs> at, at least. We'll at the very That's most. very kind, yeah. But I think Appreciate one of the things as well is that and this harks back to the original point about how we insist on quality is that with stretch goals, we've got planned. We'll give you an exclusive. Um, our stretch goals are, are, are quite extensive. And from day one, we're putting in another battlefield. We're putting in a dojo. We want to put in a bridge as well. We want to put in a, a river riverside area so that you have shape, different shaped battlefields, wow. which add different types of fight. We're putting a neoprene mat into Ooh. a deluxe version. And you guys saw that, you know, with the can, the, the came for moving around, yeah. we've got a metal engraved metal rings for those as well. So, there's not only going to be the core set for you guys, but if you really love this game, the deluxe one is going to be everything ramped up to 11. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful game. 
Do you have a cost yet on the deluxe? I think we're going at fifty pounds, which is about seventy dollars. So we're going to try and pack in a lot for that. Um, we've got beautiful Ooh, narrative I'm in. solo. Yeah, well, can I big up? Big up. We have um, one of our basically we have um, basically we release like a coin, um, normally a player token that is the coin. So we're going to have some sort of medallion coin probably, but also we have a comic and we have a really great friend who's a graphic novelist. He's got all of his pieces, all of his works in the um, uh, London Art Library. He's started the comic book, and I just want to, it's exclusive here. It's basically a one-piece fold-out comic that each page will fold out telling the story. On the reverse is our plan, and we're working on this right now, is the solo mode, you play on the back of the comic. So you can literally go through the battlefield, read what's just happened, like fighting like the Odachi and the Ronin, and then you'll flip it over and fight on the actual scene that you've just read. And so it's kind okay, of a that's unique... ridiculous. Yeah. Goosebumps. I, yeah, we were in a bath. <laughs> it was literally, um, I think it was Monday night we were talking yeah. about it and we just had this idea. It's like, we have to get up. Like, it's tight, but we can do this. We can get on yeah. there. So that's our plan. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. So ago. essentially, you'll drift through the world of feudal Japan. You'll have your character. You'll have your deck pre-built. And then in the graphic novel, when he fights... He encounters the warrior in the road, and she's got her Odachi, and it's a fearsome sword. You'd flip that part of the graphic novel, and it would give you the card list for fighting her in solo, and then that would narratively bring you along with the story. Yeah. It's a, wow. I think it's an original. I think this is Paul. This is an original idea, isn't it? Well, it, uh, yeah, I think so. We've never like it was. It was a, a smash up of like the like I said the graphic novelist. He was like he was explaining like, what he was going to do, and I was like, you can't. Like I was just like, this is exactly what we wanted. Like you can't imagine. <laughs> like he's been away doing stuff, and he's come back going, this is our plan. This is my plan now. And I was like, that's perfect. And the idea is what well, a way to get immersed into oh, the game. Exactly. I mean, we, one thing we're doing is flipping on his head a little bit. So the student, if you look at the miniature, looks like the hero. Like he's the Luke Skywalker kind of character. It's like that's definitely the hero. We're actually swapping around to so the Ronin is the protagonist. So they look really dark and nasty. But when you read the story, you understand why they're dark and nasty. So it's a bit of John Wick going on. Mm-hmm. And without giving anything away, it's a cyclical kind of narrative. So it's kind of going back to the kind of Kurosawa kind of ideas. It's, yeah, if you, if you know his work in the kind of movies, you'll see that in this. Well, guys, again, I don't think we have to wish you luck. There's so much put into this game. I can't wait to get my copy. I'm going to play it on TTS some more. In the meanwhile, we're going to give you guys an opportunity to give your sign off. Tell us where we can learn a little bit more. But first, every designer that comes on the Level Up Board Game Podcast has the opportunity. Wait, Patrick, you're not going to make them do this. Yes, they're going to do it. They're going to get a chance to level up. they were so nice to us. (laughs) Right. How about we start? uh, James, I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Scott, you got the stopwatch ready? I got it ready here. I'm all set to go. Okay, James, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you eight quick questions. I want you to give me the first answer that comes to your mind, okay? Scott, you say when. Ready, set, go. What color do you prefer to play as? Uh, Red. Which Senjutsu character is your favorite to play as? Ah, Ronin. In American football, which team plays for Pittsburgh? The Pittsburgh Pirates. What cartoon features a character named Princess Twilight Sparkle? My Little Pony. What level of doneness is the best way to cook a steak? Uh, just give it to me raw. I'll go into the forest and kill that deer with my teeth. I'll tear out his jugular and devour it. <laughs> if you wanted to watch a film featuring Peter Venkman and Winston Zedmore, what movie would you put on? Uh, it's Ghostbusters. It's Ghostbusters. Oh, of course it is. It's the goofy looking guy. Yeah. That's cheating. <laughs> Without a doubt, the best song ever is. Oh, God. I'm so bad at this. The idea is she's freezing my brain. Uh, the Magic Roundabout. 
Name one river that is in the United States. Oh, God. And that's time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whew, that, that was Why a little rocky. A that was a little rocky. <laughs> Paul, you're going to have to save him. That, uh, Boy, I look oh. like a moron. <laughs> I have a little applause track that I get to put at the end. I don't think I'm going to put <laughs> it on this one. <laughs> All right, Paul. So we're going to do this as a joint level up. Depending on how Paul does, we'll determine Damn. if the Senjutsu Design team gets the level up. Right. Scott, you tell me when. All Paul, right. on the floor. Let's get going now. Given one hour to do so, could you eat an entire pizza? Oh, shit. Five, ten minutes. Yeah. If Senjutsu got into a fight with Full Moon Jacket, who would win? <laughs> um, there's a lot of werewolves. Um, guns. Full Moon Jacket. I understand you left your job as a graphic design teacher in the middle of moving homes to instead develop board games. What the hell were you thinking? I don't know. <laughs> Can you ice skate? Oh, I'm actually really bad. Like, it's one of my least favorite things to do. If you had to arm wrestle me, who would win? You got some tasty guns, Pat. Um, I I go for you, man. I think you got this. Your favorite class in school was? Um, Media. Have you ever seen the movie Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, yeah. Slow pan. Yeah, Jack Burton. Love that guy. Actually, Kurt Russell's my favorite. It's all in the wrist. I can't find Full Moon Jacket anywhere. Will you just give us a copy? Yes. (laughs) And stop. Okay. That gets the level up. Um, <laughs> I'll pay the ship. This is bullshit. I'm going on strike. Paul's one. Paul's <laughs> one was you had, What's your favorite Mine color? was like, you were like, outer Patagonia is famous for what bread product? And it was like, do you know what I found out yesterday? Patagonia has a massive Welsh population. Does it? Yeah. I don't even know Third what Patagonia is. I think this is Welsh. a flower. Are the sheep safe in Patagonia? That's the only question. Wait, what is Patagonia? It's like a mountain Argentinian mountain yeah. range. Yeah. yeah. Llamas or alpacas. I don't know which one's which. See, this has got to stay in the podcast because I look like an idiot. And now you've just gone, what's Patagonia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going to cut that out. Well, I think you guys both deserve the level up for that effort. We'll give you the opportunity now. I'll give you the floor. Tell us where can we find out more. If I'm listening, I know that I can go to Kickstarter, but yeah. you know, there's all kinds of social media out there, your website. Fill us in. So the Kickstarter um, sign-up page is live, and you can go and sign up for it to get a notification there. Um, we also have a demo on the TTS of Senjutsu, and that includes a rolling amount of cards being beta-tested as well. So if you want to get involved with playtesting and have a look at what the game looks like just before it's finished, please jump in on our TTS link, which we will provide. We are bad at social media, We're not, but please come and follow us. So come to Stone Sword Games. Um, we're on Instagram and on facebook we will try and post when we remember and we will get better hopefully coming back senjutsu and we can use the money to hire someone (laughs) (laughs) well guys thank you very much for your time today really looking forward to getting on this campaign and seeing how things progress following along as you go through fulfillment very excited for you thank you so much for giving us a look behind the plans what's going to be coming up looking so much forward to what comes up in the future after Sinjitsu. amazing story amazing game amazing people thank you so much for your time uh, thank you for having us this was a, yeah, a really lovely experience guys. Senjutsu Battle for Japan thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast we encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. 
Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.